Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Excited about this tabernacle series that we're going to be going into. And some of you might be scratching your heads like, why are we going to be talking about the tabernacle? Like, uh, what does that have to do with me? Like, what does this like Old Testament tent have to do with my life and my Monday? And, and how is this going to affect my family and what's going on in my world? And I believe that there are some very powerful truths hidden in the tabernacle that are going to lead us into some really powerful things in our personal lives. Amen? So let's just ask God to come and show us who he is as we lean into the word of God. Jesus, thank you for being here with us already. Thanks for your presence in worship. Thank you that you're so good to inhabit the praises of your people. And, And Lord, we just acknowledge that you're here. We thank you for what you're doing already, God, as we are leaning in together corporately as a church into this 40 days of prayer and fasting. Lord, we thank you uh, that we get to do these things together. And and we're asking that these few minutes that we have to lean into your word together, that we'd be changed, that your word would come alive to us. You'd open up our hearts and our minds to be able to see you in a fresh and powerful way. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Now, now growing up, one of the, the most prized parts of our weekend was going to this place called Super Track. Okay, now Super Track. How many of you have ever been to Austin's Park and Pizza? Anybody? Anybody been there? Okay, so Super, think like a miniature version of all that is Austin. I mean, how great is that place, right? If you've never been there, you need to go there. You pay like 25 bucks, it's like unlimited go-karts and laser tag and like, it's it's amazing. It's so fun. It's an arcade and that's what Supertrack was, right? It was go-karts, it was an arcade, skee-ball, going old school. How many of you love playing skee-ball, right? Like the, the little claw thing that was rigged, but you believed that this was the time. Winning tickets, right? Like, do you remember when tickets actually used to come out? How enjoy? Now it's like on a little card and like, it's not the same. You want to walk around with like your arms full of the spoils, right? So that you can cash in your tickets to get something that you could have bought at the dollar store, Right, but you, you, you give arms, you spent $20 to win these tickets, and you were so jacked up to get your little toy that's probably worth 25 cents, right? So this is what Supertrack was. Have you ever been to something like Supertrack? Now, here's, here's the deal. Supertrack was also ghetto. And what, what I mean is, is that not all the go-karts at Supertrack were created equal. Right, there, there were some go-karts that were fast. Maybe the governor had been adjusted on them and they, I mean, they moved maybe a little bit too quickly, but there were some go-karts at Supertrack that were like made for the slow lane, okay? Now, now you you don't really have a choice on what go-kart you get. It's not like they just kind of let you free. They fill it from the line, from the front to the back. And so me and my brothers, because look, if you won the race, you had bragging rights all week, right? And, and it wasn't just like my brothers that raised, like my mom was into it, like my dad, like super competitive family. And when we would talk trash to each other on the way to the super track, you know, like, oh, you're going down, like as if it was an actual race. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't start at the same time. Every, it's, but anyways, we were into it. And, you, you know, you didn't have any choice over what cart you got, but we would try, we would watch the cars and we'd be like, oh, yo, number 13 tonight is moving. 
And so you would see, you would count them as they're parking. You'd be like, yeah, go in front of me. You'd like try to spay, you know, try to line up to where you would sit number 13. Like, no, no, okay, yeah, y'all can go. Go ahead, go ahead. And you're trying to get in a, it really never really worked out that way, but you tried, right? It was the effort. It was the effort that counted. And so this one day in particular, I wanted to win so stinking bad. I was on a losing streak. I had won the go-kart race in a long time, and I wanted it. I could taste it. I could feel it. And so I was trying to everything I could to position myself to get in the right spot in the line to get the fast cart that night. And, and, it, and I get in this cart, and I think, like, I'm in a speedster. This is it. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dominate my parents. This is going to be phenomenal. Like, everything, like, my life has been accumulating to this point. And, and we take off, and it was not fast. I had chosen poorly. It was the slowest cart I think I had ever been in in my life. I still to this day remember how frustrating it was to turn a corner with your foot slammed on the, no brakes needed in this cart. I mean, you know how like you drive those go-karts and you, you think that pressing the gas pedal harder against the metal is gonna make it go faster? Right. I mean, I'm like leaning all of my body weight onto like, just like, please let it go. And my dad and my brothers and my mom are lapping me. And I'm just like. Yeah, I mean, it was horror. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I need more power, man. I need more power. How many of you feel like you're stuck in a slow lane? And you're, you're watching life just cook. Like you're watching it. And you're, and you're like, man, I need more power to be able to do what I feel like I'm supposed to do to be able to get where I feel like I'm supposed to get. Like I need to tap into some, something more right now than I'm, I, than I'm experiencing. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Is there anybody here that feels like they could use a little bit more power in their life? A little bit more momentum coming behind them. That the power source that's moving you forward when you're going through some stuff right now that's making you question if you have enough to get through it. I want you to open your Bibles to Exodus 25. Exodus 25. Now, up to this point in the book of Exodus, God had moved mightily for the people. In Exodus 25, the people of God had experienced him delivering them from slavery in Egypt. Supernaturally getting them out from Pharaoh's grasp, leading them into the wilderness so that they could make their way to the promised land. On their journey, they come against the Red Sea. God splits the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground. Hello. God is leading them by a cloud during the day, fire at night. He's feeding them with bread and quail from heaven. Up to this point, they knew that God was providing for them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
They were aware that there was a supernatural power source that was pushing them from the captivity that they were in into the land that they had been promised. Now, at this point in Exodus 25, Moses was God's guy. He was the mouthpiece. And so God would call Moses up to a mountain. He would speak to Moses on the mountain, and then Moses would come down and communicate to the people. But something began to shift in Exodus 25. Verse 8, God speaks to Moses and says this. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Let them, the people, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So understand, this is a shift in how God was wanting to interact with humanity. God was encountering Moses like this. They would go to a mountain. God would speak to Moses, and then Moses would come down from the mountain and then speak to the people. And God is saying, I am going to put into motion a new way of my people connecting with me. I want a place where I can dwell among them. God was taking the interaction of we need to go to a mountain to meet with him to now I meet with him right here. God tells them, build me a sanctuary that I can dwell among them, a dwelling place among the people. Now look, this is already rich because listen to John 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the, the Greek word for dwelt here, it, it actually can be translated tent of meeting. And so Jesus became the tabernacle among us. The word became flesh. Jesus became the God-man and he tabernacled, he dwelt among us. So understand that the more that we dive into how God painted the picture of who Jesus was going to be, the better we will understand who Jesus is and what he's made a way for us to experience in and through him. So understanding what was going on when God instructed the people to build the tabernacle in Exodus 25 gives us great insight in how we are then to experience Jesus today. Because, look, I believe that there are some of us that have been praying and believing God to get us out of some situations and some circumstances that make us feel powerless. When you are beating down the doors of heaven, you're like, God, you've got to change this, shift this, move this, because I feel powerless in the middle of this. Like, God, you have to do something right now. And, and, and maybe you're a little frustrated at what it seems to be silence from heaven as it doesn't look like things are moving. 
And my encouragement to us is, is maybe it's not that God wants to remove the situations and circumstances from us, but give us access to power in the middle of them. Because God needs you where he has you. And therefore, there's power for you in that place. If you feel overwhelmed and you have a power problem, you don't have a God problem. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We, we have access to the tabernacle among us. Jesus came and dwelt among us. And therefore, listen to 2 Corinthians. This is going to blow your mind. Chapter 6, verse 16. We are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will live with them, walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, God is painting a picture so that we can understand that all of his power and all that dwelt among the tabernacle, all of that glory and all of his goodness and all of his bigness and all of his provision dwells in us. That, that we have access to all of his glory. Now, I want us to look at the tabernacle because it's broken into three parts, okay? You have what's called the outer courts, which is this tinted, this curtained, fenced area. And that's where you see the, the altar and behind it is what's called the labor. And then you have the inner courts, which is that smaller tent that's in the middle, and then inside that smaller tent, you would have what was called the Holy of Holies. And so what we're going to be doing over these next few weeks is kind of walking through each part of the tabernacle and seeing what we have access to now that Jesus has come and been our final sacrifice. So understand that when the tabernacle was built... This was built to be mobile. The reason is that the people were in transition. When God spoke to Moses to build him a place where he can dwell among the people, they were in a place of transitioning from captivity into promise. So when God said, I want to dwell among you, I don't want our interactions to be one man goes to a mountain. I want a place among the people where my presence and my power is dwelling among the people while they're in transition. Some of you are in transition this morning and you need to hear me say that when you are in transition from captivity into promise, that God is drawing near to you. He's coming to dwell near to you, to be with you. And, and it was, a, it was a, this massive reminder in the midst of this mobile village that was wandering around the wilderness. That fence was 450 feet long and it was white. And it was just like this beacon to the people where every time, I mean, can you imagine seeing in the middle of the desert, this massive structure they could probably see it from everywhere. And it's just a reminder on good days and in bad days, I'm with you. 
I'm with you. I'm, I'm in the middle. I'm dwelling among you. And, and what's amazing is you can see this picture is not colored, but at the front here, there's this like textured part of the curtain. That was a 30-foot space where the curtains were not white. They were red and purple and blue and white, and that was called the entrance gate. And what's important is the entrance gate was the only place the people could enter into the tabernacle. There was only one way in. Do you see it? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That entrance gate in the midst of this massive white structure was just this beaming picture of sinners come into the presence, into the inner place, into the glory, into where I dwell through one gate alone. You, you couldn't just enter into the tabernacle on any side that you felt like, no, there was one way in. And here's why there was one way in. The main goal of the outer courts of the tabernacle was to be a place where sin was dealt with. This was the entire function and purpose of the outer courts was to simply deal with the sin that is in us. The, the outer courts are a place of forgiveness and a place of cleansing. And the sin of the people then and our sin today is simply, it's just the areas in our lives that fall short of the righteous standards of God. I love how Galatians 5.19 puts it because it says the acts of the flesh are obvious. I love that because that resounds with me. It's like nobody has to tell me. It's like you just kind of know in your knower. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when you encounter something, you're just like, it's obvious. Like, like I don't think this is the best that God has for me, right? Like, the, the, I love it. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, right? Like, obvious. This is not what God has for us, and this is what Galatians Five says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the tabernacle, when you would enter, the first thing that you would see was this massive, the biggest piece of furniture in the entire tabernacle was called the brazen altar. And the brazen altar was the place where sin was dealt with. And so just like Paul tells us in Galatians here, 
that if we don't get the things in us that separate us from God dealt with, we can't move forward into his presence. Before you go any further into the place where God dwells, sin has to be atoned for. Like there, there has to be a dealing with the things that are separating us from God so that then we can enter into what God has for us to come. Leviticus 1 takes us into what would happen at this brazen altar. It says this in verse 2, that when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring your offering as an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you were to offer a male without defect. What's this sound like? Offer a male without defect and you must present it at the entrance of the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. So, so you have to bring this male lamb at the, at the very entrance with you. Before you can go any further, there has to be something that is perfect, without defect, without fault, that comes with you because there's going to be a transfer of brokenness and forgiveness. It says this in verse 4, you're to lay your hands on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf. It will be accepted on you, and it will make atonement for you. What happened at the altar was a shadow of what Jesus was going to do for us once and for all. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now understand, the outer courts were not a hangout place. You didn't hang out in the outer courts. You passed through them. You pass through. The, the outer courts were not designed to be a place of residence. They were designed to be a place of progression. We, we move past the altar after our sins are atoned for. And then we encounter the labor. And the labor was a place of cleansing. It was a basin that was filled with water. Because look, sacrifices are messy business. I don't know if you felt the consequence, the mess of sin. Anybody? Yeah. Like sin creates mess. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Sin creates mess. They go together hand in hand. Sin in relationship, mess. Sexual sin, mess. Lying, mess. Like sin creates mess and, and the atonement for sin, something has to shed blood so that that sin is not seen anymore. 
But again, we're not supposed to just hang out at the altar and just be like feeling horrible about what we have done. We're supposed to move past the altar to the laver, which is the place of cleansing off the residue of the sacrifice. The, the priest would stick his bloody hands into this water and he would not leave that place until there was no sign of the sacrifice on his fingers. It, it was a place of cleansing. It, it, I love Isaiah 1.18. It says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. When Jesus died on the cross, he was the final sacrifice of our sin. He made a way not just for our sins to be forgiven, but for the stains of our sin to be removed. And I believe that there are a few of us in the house today that need to hear that, that the place in God where our sin is dealt with is not a place that we're supposed to stay. That, that we need to keep moving past the altar. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's new. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. It's done. It's done. The old is gone gone and the new is here and there was this moment that happened in Isaiah Isaiah 6 where Isaiah finds himself in the heavenly representation of the earthly tabernacle he's in the throne room he's in the holy of holies and when he is in that place he's overcome it says he's overcome with the sin of the people and with the guilt of what he's done because that, that's what happens, right? When, when, we, when we get in the presence of God, no, the, the, the acts of our flesh are obvious. Like it, when you're in his presence, you're not wondering like about the gray area in your life. When you're in his presence, you're not like, I wonder if this is okay or if I wonder if this is okay. Like you're just like, whoa, I'm not okay. Right, I mean, you're just like, whoa, okay, like, uh, I'm, I shouldn't be here. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't. But that's why there's an altar. That's why there was a cross, because it's to move us from the old into the new. And Isaiah is in the throne room. He's in the presence of God. And he's just like, oh my gosh, woe is me. And it says that an, a, a, a seraphim, like this angel, that must have been like super creepy to see, like six wings. <laughs> you ever read about some of the creatures in heaven and you're like, 
okay, am I really going to be like encouraged here or am I just going to live in terror? <laughs> like beast covered in eyeballs. Like, I'm like, I don't know if I'm like going to think that's cool or not. I mean, I think it's scary. Like, and so look, Isaiah is freaked out probably on multiple levels because this sixth wing multi-eyed beast is flying towards him holding a flaming coal from the altar. And it says, Isaiah was terrified. <laughs> me too. Me, me too. I, I'm like, okay, hold on. It's amazing because when this, when this seraphim flew with the live coal in his hand, this is verse six, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, he touched my mouth, Isaiah said. And he says, your guilt is taken away. Hold on, hold on. Your guilt, your guilt is taken away and your sin is forgiven. See, at the altar, it's not just forgiveness, but the weight of sin is burned up as well. That we're not supposed to carry around the weight of what we did. We're, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to move past the altar. Not just hanging out at it, looking at it, being like, yeah, I deserve to be here. No, no, the, 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 the altar was, was a place where sin is dealt with so that life can be lived. The, the altar was designed to move us closer into his presence. The, the altar, hear me, was a place of punishment and a place of presence. Punishment came upon the sacrifice so that the person could experience the presence of God. Jesus, our final sacrifice, stood in the gap, paid our Price so that we too can experience forgiveness and grace and his blood can wash us white as snow so that then we can live. Not so that we can carry around the list that we've created for ourselves of everything that we're not. Look, if you're wondering like, okay, do I hang out at the altar? Is this me? Do I understand the progression of forgiveness, cleansing, and intimacy? Well, here's the thing. Do you, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see the grace of God or do you see the list of your failures? What's there? Because look, this is what we do. We make lists. We make lists. We're like, yeah, I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm a pervert. And when we look at ourselves, we don't see the grace and the hope and the life that we have access through through Jesus' sacrifice. We stay at the front of the altar, aware of our brokenness, but not receiving his restoration. And you understand like, yeah, my sin is forgiven at this place. There's been atonement for my sin, but that coal has not touched your lips. And so you wake up in the morning and look, you wanna hear something crazy? That nothing is wasted in the tabernacle. Do you know what way that gate, that entrance gate faced? It, faced? 
east. Do you know what happens in the east? The sun comes up. His mercies are new when? Every morning. There's this declaration that, that, that God wants to remove our sin from us as far as the east is from the The altar deals with our sin so that we can experience his presence. But if we stay at the altar, if we don't, if we don't allow those coals to wash, to burn away the guilt of our sin, then, then, then we're not going to live in grace. We're going to live in a list. I don't know what's on your list. Like, maybe it's like this. Maybe you have, like, it says, like, failure on it. Maybe it says cheat on it. And, 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 and this, like, we could have made this a T-shirt because this is like your undershirt that you put on every day. And when you look in the mirror, you don't see mercies new every morning. You see failures aware every second. And that's basically saying, Jesus, what you did for me was not enough. Thank you that my sin has been forgiven, but I need to deal with this weight that I'm carrying. And, and, and you know what's amazing about the altar? It, is that the altar was seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet, and it was four and a half feet tall. Do you want to know why, why it was so big? It was so big because it was to totally consume everything that was put on it. But there'd be nothing hanging out, like there'd be no, no little lamb leg just chilling off to the side. No little goat tongue, just hanging like, I lost some of you. But I also got some of you on that, so. It was to consume everything. So that when you went, check this out, when you went back, so say you, say you went back to the altar, you would see nothing but coals. It's totally consumed. So, so, so what if we, like this morning, uh, allowed God to consume our list. What, what, if it, what if instead of the labels that we were walking around carrying, we, we understood that, that now we're the temple of the living God, that all of what God painted in the tabernacle's construction pointed to the revelation of how we're to interact with Jesus today. That the weight of our sin is gone. Not just the consequence, but the stain, the remnant. It's gone. It's gone. It's completely gone. It's all consumed. It's all, it's all consumed. It, it's, it doesn't even exist anymore. It, it doesn't exist anymore. Like it, the, the, it's gone. It's consumed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Like, there's not even any ash left. It's gone. We need to stop carrying around weight that we were never intended to carry. That when Jesus came, lived, and died and conquered death, it made a way for us to get past the altar and into his presence. Don't stay at the altar. You hear what I'm saying? Don't, don't stay at the altar. And what we want to do to respond this morning is, is, is there's some of you who have a list. You know your list. You know it. You, 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 
You look in the mirror, you're aware of it. You're, you're aware of the label that you have put on your heart. You're aware of the way that you have categorized yourself as who you were. And, and, and I believe that today God wants to come and consume some lists. And so what we're going to do is, is that in a minute, we're going to have some, some, some of these lanterns. And don't worry, we're not going to set anything on fire. But we're, we're just going to put these lanterns up here on the front of the stage. And we're going to have some paper for you. And if you need to come up here and write down your list, drop it in the lantern and leave the altar. Do you hear what I'm saying? Leave the Leave it. Leave it. Jesus doesn't see it anymore, so you shouldn't either.